Relational databases have been a fixture of software applications for decades. They are highly tuned for performance and typically offer explicit guarantees like transactional consistency. More recently, there's been a figurative Cambrian explosion of other-than-relational databases. Symbol key-value stores or counters were an early win in this space. Managing a graph data structure is a more challenging task than key-value stores. Asking questions of graphs demands a robust query language. Ideally, you'd also want to provide common graph algorithms to users out of box. MemGraph is an in-memory graph database that seeks to fill this need in a real-time fashion. It's a performance-driven solution that offers developers a mature option for managing and utilizing graph data. In this interview, I speak with Dominic Tomasevich, founder and CEO of MemGraph. We discuss implementation and adoption details of MemGraph, as well as the ways machine learning engineers use it for feature engineering in real time. Dominic, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Kyle. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I have to say, I'm really impressed with uh, the way you've named your company and your project MemGraph. Right away, I know exactly what I'm getting into. It's some sort of in-memory graph database. Am I correct? That's kind of what we were going for. These days, it's a little bit more than that because we play very well with the kind of streaming data ecosystem. But underneath powering all of that is an in-memory graph database. Why is it important to have it in-memory? In-memory gives you performance and uh, mainly performance for the graph algorithms working on dynamic graphs. So for us, usually kind of the legacy solutions and uh, frameworks are very optimized for batch processing. And batch processing is kind of okay if you kind of can't afford to wait for your results of your processing. But uh, in the real real-time world, it actually uh, doesn't make sense. And for us, we just kind of don't go only heavy on the in-memory side just for the sake of being in memory. We actually kind of pull it all the way through and we are building things that are incrementally processed. So you can always have the latest model of your problem in your graph in memory, and you can stream all of the updates that are going in from one side. And then on the other side, you can run all of the graph algorithms either in an ad hoc basis, or you can do some graph algorithms incrementally. Uh, so you always have the latest uh, result of your computation running. So imagine you're doing something like, a, let's say, real-time credit card fraud detection, and you're running a complex algorithm. And certainly analysts can analyze it after the fact. They can do chargebacks. They can assess the damage and fix stuff after they're done. But if you have the graph algorithm that updates incrementally on every change, whenever the new transaction comes in, it immediately gets you the new results and you can make decisions uh, real time. So this is kind of what we were going for with the platform. Can you talk about a really large deployment? I assume I'm going to get a beefy machine with as much memory as I can if I anticipate having a large database. Is there replication or swapping or, you know, what does it look like at scale? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways you can scale. Primarily, the bigger the machine, the better. It's always, uh, so you get more cores because we work with parallel processing a lot for these kind of concurrent updates. But all of the data gets stored into memory, even though we do have, for purposes of uh, snapshots and write-ahead logging, we do 
write data to disk, so data is not lost if uh, your machine fails. But in general, the more data you have, the, the bigger the machine you're going to need. And for mission-critical deployments, of course, there, uh, there's replication, so you can replicate to kind of as many machines as you, as you want. There's different kind of levels of uh, replication from kind of fully synchronous to asynchronous, uh, de depending on what kind of performance guarantees you really need. But it all actually depends in the real-world use case. It all de actually depends on the size of your graph. So some problems are very data intensive. So you have a lot of data to solve a problem and you might not have a lot of computation. But on the other hand, there are problems that are really small graphs, maybe a couple of hundred thousand nodes and uh, relationships, but that really require you to do a lot computationally. And depending on kind of how real time you want to get, uh, then a machine with more cores can actually help you accelerate those algorithms. So MemGraph sounds like it'd be great in a real-time production instance where I have streaming constant updates. But in that situation, now I have some questions about consistency. What does the update model look like from all the typical database perspectives? Yes, of course. We built MemGraph on top of a lock-free implementation of multi-version concurrency control, which essentially gives you snapshot isolation. So you can expect all of your usual guarantees as with any other database uh, you might be uh, used to. Well, not any, most uh, relational ones. But really the implementation being in memory actually enabled us to make a really neat implementation where reads never block writes and vice versa. So you can stream any of your updates as fast as you can into the graph. And doesn't matter if you're running an algorithm uh, or something that's very complex or running something that's simple or running lots of kind of concurrent transactions, your updates are still getting all of the time that they need to be ingested into MemGraph. So can I have a transaction on a graph? Of course. So whenever you start any, uh, either a query or uh, you start a graph algorithm, and by the way, we're compatible with uh, Cypher, which is the a query language that most people are familiar with today, working in graph databases. And of course, we'll, we'll support the GQL when it comes out. But whenever you start a query, it, it runs in a separate transaction. So you always get those guarantees. So you always see the consistent view of the data after your transaction has started. So it's snapshot isolation. It's not actually read committed that most other databases do. And this enables you to either run, see the world as it was at that kind of moment. But also if you have some long running computation and you're constantly streaming updates, like it's not going to be polluted. It's going to be the results uh, of uh, what computation would have been if there were no updates at that point in time. So that's really neat. Definitely. Could you talk about some common use cases? Are there particular industries that adopt MemGraph? Yes, kind of a big, big use case, as I hinted, it's, is a lot of kind of in the financial services where you have the need for up-to-date assessments on either kind of fraud or risk, for example, if you're doing anything kind of in the in the securities business, or if you're doing anything in the credit card on, a, on a, any, anything that kind of executes in, in real time. But another huge use case for MemGraph is in digital twins. So usually with digital twins, you're trying to replicate some state of the world. For example, that can be either like a a process network on a manufacturing plant. Uh, it can be either kind of a power grid that you're modeling 
inside and you have all of your sensor data and updates to the grid, uh, be it kind of structural, if some node fails out of the grid or something is added to the grid, more capacity, as well as the uh, sensor data that get uh, that update the nodes based on kind of the, the load factors and volumes and mass and energy, like whatever you want to model. And that kind of systems actually require you to be real-time from both sides. So one is constantly ingesting data into an in-memory model that you update. And then to be able to make the decisions in real-time, you also need to be real-time on the algorithm side. So that's where kind of a lot of the, the benefits that, that Memgraph provides actually come to light. And, and a lot of our customers actually are using Memgraph in such a manner. So I have some ideas about how to get information through a query out of the database. When you're describing an algorithm, how do I pick my algorithm and make it run? That's a, a good question. And all depends on what you're trying to achieve. So we, in general, build and implement a lot of the common graph algorithms that you would find in uh, different graph frameworks. And we have our own library called Mage. We call it a MemGraph Advanced Graph Extensions. It has a nice wizard logo. And you can actually kind of pick any of the algorithms and you'll find the most common ones like page rank, community detection, centralities, and stuff like that, uh, that people are already kind of familiar with. And also we're compatible with Network X, which is the framework of choice for most scientists that are trying to do like single script Python uh, graph analytics, which have the exact problems of not being able to update the data and not being able to run at a, at a large scale. And we kind of fix these for them. But we're trying to make everything as easy as possible for the developers to get started and to use the, the algorithms. The part where kind of people, what they need to pay attention for is how, how are they getting the data in so they can connect to different kind of stream, streaming platforms, uh, be it like Red Panda, Pulsar, Kafka, like the usual culprits. And then it's on the developers to decide how the messages that are incoming get transformed into, into a graph. And it's essentially as simple as writing a simple script in Python that can say, hey, this message, this is the Cypher query that should be generated and executed in order to update the state of the graph based on the message that came in. And that essentially runs in parallel and you get the nice in-memory uh, model of the data. So developers need to still be able to kind of model the data and figure out kind of what they want to achieve with the, the graph analytics. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we have uh, a tutorials on, on how to kind of get started with most co most common use cases. But I, I think well, personally, that's my opinion. It's been the largest kind of barrier to entry for new developers into the graph space. The time it takes to actually understand the concepts of nodes and edges and, and how to effectively model the problem and what algorithms can you kind of use from the other side. But we're trying to make it simple as simple as possible for people to try various different things and to easily kind of connect all of the data to easily iterate on the models uh, so uh, they can be kind of quicker with uh, with the learning. With regard to the data streaming in, can you talk a little bit about performance and throughput? Uh, if you're going to process credit card transactions, I imagine at the largest retailers, that can become at a, a high velocity. What does the system do as we put it under intense pressure of data throughput? Yeah, I mean, you always have to size your deployment right. So 
you need to have some beefy machines if you're trying to do something like that. But the ingestion in MemGraph, it happens in parallel. So you can kind of easily parallelize the, the ingestion. And depending on kind of your use case, sometimes you only need some projection of the data. So you can actually get by by having uh, like smaller machines. Usually most kind of uh, graph database systems in general are designed in a way to hold all of your data. And people are very focused on kind of, hey, go and, and switch into, into my graph database and put all of your data in. Well, we have a different approach. Like uh, you can put all of your high value data into MemGraph and you can stream it in. You can do a projection of the data and we're not trying to be the source of truth for even though we have all of the capabilities of transactions and, and snapshots and, and we write to disk, but we're not trying to be the source of truth for your data. So the more valuable your data is, the better uh, it's used kind of in the real-time graph context. And the trade-off with MemGraph is always cost. So uh, in-memory uh, databases are more costly to, to run and operate. So it makes sense for you to kind of only solve kind of your, your topmost use cases. But that being said, we actually had kind of all the way from having really small graphs with tens of thousands of node and nodes and very complex computations that, that need to be happening on every change that can take advantage of the MemGraph platform. And of course, cost of ownership for that is way lower than for something like a large system. But on the other hand, we've also had cybersecurity use cases where MemGraph was on kind of 24 terabytes of RAM uh, machines, like huge machines with lots of cores, where we had to process a lot of the stuff in microseconds and a lot of the kind of transactions coming in. So it, it all depends on, on how you're, you're sizing the system because a lot of our inherently algorithms and the way we deal with concurrency is lock-free. We can linearly scale with the number of cores that you have on the system and uh, you're not sacrificing performance for doing that. I'm imagining a machine learning engineer who's at a company maybe doing some cybersecurity like you were describing, and they're aware their colleagues have built up a nice MemGraph instance with a lot of good relational data about IP addresses and different users and sessions, and they'd like to do something to bring that into a machine learning project. Can you talk about the steps to go from raw graph data into features? Yes. And here, MemGraph can be very useful in lots of different ways. So there's kind of two main ways of how people are using MemGraph with machine learning today. So number one is to have it uh, as the kind of source of, like one way to have it is to run trained machine learning models on top of the data. So for example, if you set up like database triggers into the graph and so for on every, for example, transaction that comes in, you're trying to run an already trained model. It collects the data about that transaction, executes all of the algorithms like node to vec, and you're trying to map out the features and which you will use for classification. And then after the uh, graph algorithm is done, after, after classifying whatever you're trying to do, is it a fraud or is it not a fraud? You would then be able to run another trigger, which would notify someone if it needs to or update the graph or do whatever kind of you need the graph to do. Uh, so it's it's very easy to connect kind of completed trained models to run in production, deploying kind of graph machine learning models in production. But on the other hand, we have a lot of ways that you can actually leverage 
MemGraph at the same time as the data comes in to generate those new features. For example, you can run note-to-back uh, algorithms and others as well. And you can update whenever kind of a new, new data point comes in, you can update the st uh, state of these things. So you immediately have all of the features ready and you can just pull them and pull into your graph-based uh, machine learning pipeline that where you're kind of training uh, for, for new models. So there's a lot of flexibility there. Could you describe node to vec and maybe how people are using it? Yeah. So in like with graphs, I think the general problem is the same as with natural language processing when it first started. So initially, you had no way of figuring out what kind of how to transform the like the, the dynamics of something like words into something that machine learning algorithms can fit. So machine learning algorithms, they like very kind of static vectors of features. And you always get like 64 or whatever, 128 features. And it's difficult to translate what that means in like a natural language processing or graph model. And in general, in NLP, there was a huge revolution where we had word embeddings, uh, where those were trained on kind of the similarity of meaning and people were be able to kind of map out what the humans understood as meaning into features that the machine learning algorithms can kind of classify on. And it's the same with, uh, it's the same with graph-based machine learning. Uh, so Notovec is uh, an algorithmic kind of framework for re representational learning on graphs. So you, you're learning the representation of each node based on its neighbors and based on its neighbor's neighbors. So you're doing random walks on, on the graph from each node, and you can compute essentially what the feature vector for that node is. And it's kind of similar for similar structures in a graph. And um, graph-based machine learning is actually like a really new and really hot topic. A lot of the companies are kind of trying to get in, even within kind of the enterprise. And I, I received some updates from kind of the Google Scholar, and you would be surprised that 80% of machine learning are graph-based machine learning kind of papers, which is interesting. That is very interesting. I didn't know it was quite that high. Wow. I know. It really exploded. And may maybe I can add, uh, if you, th there's a really good kind of blog post from Uber Eats where they analyze the features for uh, the recommendations of restaurants. And it's actually the highest rated feature for uh, separating the classes, the most relevant feature that they had is actually based on graph-based machine learning. And there's a lot of new novel uses at Pinterest. They've, they've been kind of pioneering the work. Jura uh, Leskovets, uh, which he's Slovenian, which is very close to Croatia, where I am, but he's, of course, in, in California. But he's been pioneering kind of the work a lot on the uh, GraphSage and the PinSage algorithms uh, that kind of uh, broke the stigma that graphs couldn't be used for machine learning and there's a lot of new stuff happening and, and kind of we've unlocked kind of the next stage of machine learning i'd say very cool well i know some graph algorithms are efficient you can do them in linear time or something a little above that but there are a lot of famous graph algorithms like sparsest cut that are np complete is this hopeless or is there anything that memgraph can help me do if i want to solve a problem like that you can't escape theory of course always it is what it is. There are always different implementations with different trade-offs that uh, make different kinds of assumptions. And so far, 
we actually worked with some customers where we had to re-implement a different version of the algorithm to make it work. And for a lot of problems, and that's something that's uh, really not user-friendly, where you need to have a lot of domain knowledge in order to kind of understand what's happening, you can use some sort of kind of pre-processing to your graph. There's uh, some algorithms where you can figure out like what data is not relevant for the NP-complete graph algorithm that you're trying to run. And you can kind of filter out that data and really kind of reduce complexity and get it to a reasonable level. But it's always like you can you can linearly parallelize MemGraph on multiple cores, but uh, you can't escape theory if it's exponential. Uh, we're only cutting it down slightly. And if you have like a large graph that's too computationally expensive to run on a certain algorithm, it's, it's still going to take an infinite amount of time. But like some of the use cases where um, that I mentioned previously, where you have like uh, smaller graphs with tens of thousands of nodes of uh, a process network based on some uh, domain-specific knowledge that you know about the results that you're expecting, you can actually cut down on that and run NP-complete algorithms on a much smaller subset that, that are still relevant and give you the, the right results. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you need to get into more of uh, an analysis analysis of actually what your algorithm is doing. That makes a lot of sense that uh, if I intelligently sample something, that's probably my path forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the future, like what we really hope to be doing is uh, because in on the database side, we actually know what kind of a graph is stored. And if we have enough metadata and if we know about these some of these edge cases, and if we have multiple different versions of the algorithm implemented, and we know what kind of state or what assumptions that algorithm has made to run in, in that particular time, you can actually dynamically choose which algorithm is being run transparently behind the scenes so the users can only users only have to know about like what they're trying to do if they're trying to run like cycle detection and there's like a ton of different algorithms with different trade-offs uh, for cycle detection for example and depending on kind of what kind of graph you have we in the future we hope to be able to dynamically kind of make that trade-off for the user to always give him a better user experience well, I'm now imagining a uh, sort of weekend warrior indie developer, someone who has dreams of starting a company with their software project, and whether it be centrally reliant on graphs or just you know maybe a, one of its critical features, like the one you described earlier, is something graph-related. What's the easiest or, or buried entry? What's the setup path for someone to start exploring MemGraph? It's it's actually we our kind of punchline is it's it's as easy as stream graph and build. So you, you can go to our website, you can download MemGraph. It's actually BSL licensed. So it's similar to kind of Cockroach and a bunch of different new software licenses, which give you all of the open source benefits with the right to repair, right to inspect, right to improve. And our intent is to make uh, all of the features required for kind of production deployments for kind of a reasonably good engineering team at a startup to use. So you can use all of the things like replication and you can really deploy it into production in the future, but it's easy to get going. So you just go, you download, you install, you can either import your data manually, you can import historical data via CSV or migrate from relational databases. Uh, you can also easily connect to any of the graph streams uh, that you might have uh, from the streaming platform. Like if, if you have uh, Kafka, if you have uh, Red Panda, Pulsar, it's easy to do that. And then it's all on the other side. And uh, 
connecting uh, with a client, either programmatically through any of the clients that usually work with uh, Neo4j, for example, we're compatible with the Bolt protocol, so you can use uh, your existing code. But the best way, if you're like a weekend warrior trying to get set up quickly, we have a developer IDE called Memgraph Lab, which connects easily to Memgraph and you can run interactive queries and visualize the graphs and the data and see what the queries are doing. And uh, you can explore kind of in depth what, uh, how this works and, and what it looks like. Do you offer Memgraph as a service? We do currently. It's uh, still limited to some of the, some customers. It's still in kind of beta, but in the beginning, stay tuned for kind of the fully fledged Memgraph, Memgraph cloud. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll be looking out for that. Well, I'd love to dive more in on Memgraph Labs. Back in the day, I was a SQL Server user and really liked SQL Server Management Studio. It was this elegant console where I had kind of all my queries, tables, everything I needed. Is that more or less what I'm going to get in Memgraph Lab? That's certainly the vision. So I don't think we're there yet. There's a lot of features always to be added, but kind of all of the basic stuff that you would expect, you can write your queries, the queries get saved. You can actually kind of go back and look what queries you've run. Um, you can debug them. You can do profiling. You can print out the tree of the operations of how Memgraph sees it should execute a certain query. And in the future, we're also adding the support to use our query modules infrastructure. Uh, query modules is actually our way of doing stored procedures. So you can write it in any language uh, you want, actually. Anything that can be binding with C, for example. Currently, we do have Python, Rust, C, C++ inside. And we like we want to be able for people to, to be easily writing those inside Memgraph Lab. Uh, so we're embedding certain components for it. And uh, for a lot of the kind of data that you have, if you run a query, uh, you just get the general visualization of the query. But it's actually easy to style the data. We have a custom kind of styling language that uh, we've built. It's actually uh, one of our really good interns when he was an intern built. So you can actually assign certain kind of icons and color the graph differently. You can show it on a map, for example, if you have uh, geospatial data. And certainly we're adding more features for uh, also kind of data visualization and analysis, but it's still mostly a developer tool. So you need to know how to write queries and you need to know kind of how Memgraph functions in order to in order to use it. It's not like a like a graph dashboard. Could you describe a bit more about the TensorFlow integration? If that's where I'm going to do my ML, what does it take for me to get up and running? Uh, so for for TensorFlow, we actually have uh, something called a TensorFlow op. So we have the operator that kind of binds in, in directly to TensorFlow. So, I mean, the only kind of sensible use case if you're getting the data kind of out in TensorFlow is to have the op actually pull the data that you need for training. So you can do that. And if you're trying to uh, deploy something in production, if you already have your production version of the graph loaded and you're trying to run classification algorithms, you can use it through the query modules infrastructure that I mentioned. So you create your procedure that uh, can load some some model and, and executes the classification and gathers data. And you can easily call it from Cypher and from your from your apps. And it can be updated, which is uh, really nice. Uh, so you can have it kind of in your continuous integration environment. So as you're updating your code, you can update your models and your integrations together with Memgraph. And it's an easy way to uh, run and maintain graph classification in production. In my very anecdotal experience and, and watching of graph databases and graph libraries and things like that over the years, 
it feels like it's been a little bit, you know, depending on how far, how far back you look, a slow burn, but I feel a lot of growing momentum and we are at the base of a, an uphill climb in interest and usage for these sorts of technologies. I would guess you agree. I'm curious if you have any insight or if you have any thoughts on where the low-hanging fruit is today. Definitely, definitely. I do agree. And I think the the kind of the the burden is because of the education. Like it's it's really not easy for someone who doesn't understand the concept to immediately start thinking in the graph terms. It's not as easy as uh, like a key value store or a document store, because a lot of people are familiar with JSON and you can easily kind of get started with something that's kind of in that realm. But in graphs, especially if you need to need to get some sophisticated insights, then it's uh, actually quite tricky and you need, need a lot of kind of the the background knowledge. Uh, we're starting to get a lot more momentum. People are starting to think in, in graph terms a lot more, and we see a lot more of the interesting research or uh, and, and actually a lot more vendors and graph frameworks. So everything is moving in the right in the right direction. And that's where I hope kind of the industry will be going for the if you're trust just trying to use the graph for storing the data, that's probably not as interesting because you can easily model that in a relational database or in any other way. There are specific cases where it actually makes sense. But in most use cases, it's actually if you prefer to use a graph or you prefer to use relational. And as relational is established with a lot of the tools, then people don't see a much, much value in switching for that. But as soon as you start thinking about insights, start thinking about what you're trying to actually get out of and you're trying to run graph algorithms and computation and even like in the most kind of cutting edge realm, you're trying to run custom graph-based machine learning, you're trying to run your custom domain-specific algorithms that embed domain knowledge, that's where you just can't escape. And that's where systems like MemGraph show the most value. It makes total sense to me that key value stores are just easier for people to get. Does the average person need two semesters of data structures and algorithms to use MemGraph? Or I guess what's the sort of minimum prerequisites to get up and running and understand just enough of the theory? Yeah, I'd say it can be. Definitely, there's a specter. So it's it's for what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to run vanilla page rank, trying to see the importance of nodes in a graph, you're trying to detect different communities, similar nodes in the graph that belong to a certain community, we're trying to the centrality algorithms, shortest path, trying to search something from the graph in terms of the impact analysis, breadth first search, depth first search. That's quite easy. Like you can easily kind of learn to be a user of such systems. So you don't need semesters of learning because you don't need to implement these algorithms. You just need to know how they work and you need to know uh, like which one of them would be the most beneficial to run on the data that you have. But if you're trying to kind of get super deep, if you're trying to get into kind of domain-specific algorithms and you're trying to build something that's kind of very custom, then definitely then you have to need to have the knowledge of how things run under the hood. But I think the biggest burden for beginners in general is thinking in terms of the graph, right? Like in all the way, like since elementary school, people work with Excel and they understand tables and tables are easy to, to understand. But when you start thinking in terms of the graph, like what should be a node, what should be an edge, like what should be a property, how do I deal with super nodes, like do I model something as a as relationship or do I model something as a node? Like there's a, a lot of kind of use case dependent things that you're trying to do. So there's no one 
else that can um, help you easily if you don't understand at least the basics of how graph modeling would work. And I think that's that's kind of the uh, the burden for for beginners to get into graph. Where do you see MemGraph in five years? Yeah, I mean, our vision is uh, to get the graphs to, to get graphs into the hands of everybody on the planet, and that's what kind of we will be working towards. Like initially, like we want to focus on these like really high value use cases where we can make the most difference and kind of use that as the foundations for kind of expanding into kind of other spheres of of influence, if you will. And in general, that means supporting those kind of uh, high value, real time use cases where everything needs to be in memory, where uh, you have a lot of data streaming in. And you need those kind of up to up to point uh, analytics kind of. And, and in five years, who knows, maybe we come up with some sort of a no code solution as well. Uh, maybe we kind of are able to position with a lot more in the graph machine learning ecosystem because that's kind of evolving from month to month. And we're keeping track of everything that's developing and figuring out how do we uh, make all of that latest research available to developers through MemGraph easily so they don't have to kind of comb uh, through all of that and re-implement the, the things that they want. And we just want to focus on uh, being a kind of a good vendor to make as easy as possible for people to get started, to get uh, the data in, to uh, run their analysis, to build apps, and to be happy. So if I understand it correctly, I could stand up MemGraph on my own. What's your business model? Yeah, for us, we want to enable people to, with kind of reasonable self-sufficiency with our uh, BSL licensed uh, version that you can find on GitHub. In terms of the business model, there's two. Uh, one is in the enterprise features, like but real enterprise features where, where you have strict compliance and you need audit logging, you need uh, different like password policies and stuff like that, uh, which usually big companies do. So that's kind of what we charge for. And th- there's another way for us to, to make money, but it's actually making your life easier in production. It's the cloud version that we're talking about. So that's kind of heavily in development for us. So if you have a use case that uh, works and you have it in uh, deployed like locally and you want to transfer to production, we want to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. And you don't have to train your DevOps people to be able to work with MemGraph, do backups, do upgrades, figure out the scaling on the as-needed basis. Like all of those features is, is something that we want to kind of abstract to the user and have it behind the cloud. That's the the number two. Well, it's a good vision. Dominic, where can listeners learn more about MemGraph? Yeah, definitely. Go to memgraph.com or github.com slash memgraph, whatever you prefer. You can start there. You can go and download and be easy as stream, graph, and build. And uh, of course, you can join our community on Discord. You can read more about it on our website. Uh, we have a bunch of people who are really helpful in the community and are doing some cutting edge stuff. So uh, if anyone uh, shares the vision and, and passion, uh, they can come and join. It's a friendly place. Well, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.